Hey there, and welcome to another episode of IoT This Week. I am your host, Craig Smith. We have been off the air for a few months, but it's great to be back. This week, we'll be chatting about the WiseCam security camera. We'll talk a bit about malware, who is spam, logging and alerting, the Spiderfoot tool, and much more. This is episode 36 of IoT This Week. All right, so like I mentioned, we have been off the air for a few months. Um, basically, I had too many projects going on, so unfortunately, I had to drop something. So anyway, um, we're back. Glad to be back doing the podcast for you guys um, to help you guys catch up on you know some of the latest um, week's news as it uh, pertains to either the Internet of Things, information security, or just uh, straight-up technology. So a few housekeeping things before we get started. Um, I think way back when I kind of stopped doing this, I think I did a few newsletters without podcast, and then the uh, newsletters and podcast episodes kind of get out of whack. So anyway, so we're starting with episode 36 this week. Um, the last episode, the last podcast episode was 32, so if you notice the gap, um, it's not that you missed anything, it's just I'm trying to line up the podcast numbers with the newsletter, uh, which will also be um, issue 36. And I'm also modifying the podcast format just a touch. So in addition to topics we'll discuss around IoT, InfoSec, and tech, I'm also adding discussion around some projects I'm working on. A lot of times I've written about these on the website. So for example, the WiseCam security camera, I've been doing a sort of review on that. Um, similar to some of the um, IoT research I did in years past. Um, so we'll talk about that. Um, we'll also talk about some things I've been doing around logging and alerting and some other tools. So, so yeah, so we'll add that onto the podcast. Um, so I thought that would be fun for you guys to kind of hear about, especially if you guys are looking to, um, you know, kind of do some similar projects and so forth. All right. So first up, uh, let's talk about malware, specifically cryptocurrency malware, since that seems to be all the rage these days. And this particular story is about a water utility in Europe. And since it's a water utility, obviously we're probably going to be talking about SCADA systems. So apparently it's, it was a SCADA system running Windows XP, which is obviously super old. Um, and the operator of this um, particular system decided he'd surf the internet and in turn uh, became infected with um, mining malware. So the company that was doing the instant investigation, um, you know, they recommended some of the normal things like putting IDS on your system, um, you know, hardening the network around your SCADA systems and that sort of thing. You know, and obviously that's all good stuff that you want to do um, as part of security. But I think the big takeaway from this is um, maybe you don't want to let your operators surf the Internet on your SCADA systems. Um, and even to the point to where you want to make sure that no Internet traffic um, goes out to the internet for these from these systems. Um, so if somebody does decide to surf on them, at least you'll have some other technical controls in place to actually stop this from happening. And then just to continue the cryptocurrency malware theme, we also have a couple other stories. Um, one of them is pretty recent, the last couple of days, where it's become um, evident that U.S. and U.K. government websites have also been infected with crypto mining malware. Um, and then there's another interesting article where somebody did a study, I guess, to see kind of where all the crypto mining malware was actually, you know, what it was doing um, in regards to DNS. 
And what they actually found was pretty interesting. Um, apparently, according to them, um, half the sites using crypto mining malware are actually adult content domains. Um, so actually, that's actually probably not surprising given that um, there's all kinds of um, sketchy stuff that goes on, uh, especially on porn sites. Um, the other thing they actually did, um, they determined that um, 628 websites out of Alexa's top 300 contained crypto mining code as well. Um, so I guess about half of those then, um, as according to the article, I guess about half of those would have been um, adult sites. So something we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast, uh, one of the outputs from that, they actually uh, made available all the, um, I think it was, I think it was over 600, I think it was the 628 websites they were talking about in this article. Um, they actually uh, put together a list of all those domains. Um, and you can actually use that list. And like I said, I'll talk about this later. You can actually use this list if you're doing things like domain blocking at home or that sort of thing. But um, we'll talk about that um, later in the podcast. All right, so a couple uh, other stories uh, from IoT. So somebody just did another uh, recent report around Wi-Fi routers, and, um, well, they did a security review of um, a multitude of uh, Wi-Fi routers, and as you can imagine, they found quite a few vulnerabilities. Um, and basically the gist of the report um, was saying that the Wi-Fi routers were just a complete mess uh, when it comes to security. Like I said, that's no surprise to anybody. So some of the, uh, what they rated as critical security vulnerabilities um, that they discovered were WPA2, the crack vulnerability, key reinstallation tech, um, FFmpeg, denial of service, OpenSSL, um, DOS and buffer overflow and remote co code execution um, related to OpenSSL, and Samba remote code execution. So one of the things they noted, and I, this is actually something I'll bring up when I talk about the WiseCam security camera, is that a lot of the versions of these different software components um, were just simply out of date. So that's the continuing theme um, when it comes to IoT devices, is a lot of times these software components um, are completely archaic and obsolete and haven't been updated in a decade or two. Yet, um, basically, they're being put on there because they are free. So, again, um, yeah, not surprising that they found um, a few holes in Wi-Fi routers. And then this story was interesting. Um, this is from Intel. So, apparently, Intel is launching a 18-core CPU that is specifically designed for IoT devices and autonomous vehicles. So my first thought when I saw that, um, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, I can see maybe the 18 core CPU, um, which I'm guessing is probably, unless they've come up with some crazy like um, way to make it super power efficient, um, 18 cores is probably gonna be pretty power hungry. And IoT devices, um, as most of you guys know, they're not really um, uh, that big on supplying lots of power to their different components. So I'm not exactly sure what they plan on using this um, as far as IoT devices, but I can totally see this in an autonomous vehicle, uh, especially you know if it's getting power from a gas engine or uh, batteries and that sort of thing. Um, I can definitely see it working in there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know where it would be um, uh, appropriate for IoT devices given the strict or limit on power 
um, usage for a lot of these devices. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe they've got something cool coming up, uh, but we'll see. So back to talking about malware. And this isn't crypto mining malware. This is just your uh, normal malware. So this one affects point of sale systems. And they named it UDPOS because, of course, we have to name everything. And they named it UDP because it's actually... Um, the way they discovered it was because the particular malware was sending out an unusual DNS request. <coughs> so this particular malware disguises itself as a LogMeIn um, service pack. And like I said, it, it disguises itself as um, it sends its traffic out over DNS requests. So this is actually the way they discovered it um, because they were able to identify unusual DNS requests um, heading out of the network. And... Um, this is something I've harped about on my website at various times is people are actually aren't paying enough attention to outgoing DNS traffic. Um, DNS is one of those things that's almost always going to be allowed out of the network. Um, it's sort of like HTTP. It's just one of those things that's got to be it's got to be going out in order for the you know for web browsing to function. And that's why a lot of the malware likes to send stuff out over DNS. Um, because they ha they know it's got a relatively good chance of getting out of the network if they send it that way. So again, um, you always want to be monitoring your DNS traffic going out because you never know, you know, when it might be something that's malicious. And then if you've got a, I think it's a couple of different models of Cisco routers. Um, there's a, apparently a huge security update for these particular routers um, that prevents remote code execution and DOS attacks. So if you've definitely, if you've got these two models, um, definitely make sure that you uh, update the router firmware. And it looks like the two models, um, Cisco's RV132W ADSL 2 plus wireless uh, VPN router and RV134W VDSL 2 wireless AC VPN router. So both those models uh, are, are particularly vulnerable, um, and apparently this is, like I said, it's remote code execution and DOS attack, so it's pretty bad. And according to the article, firmware version 1.0.1.11 um, fixes this vulnerability, so um, definitely take a look at that if you've got these two particular Cisco routers. And many of you probably have heard this one already, that Apple's, um, you know, quote, top secret iBoot firmware um, source code was um, put out on GitHub, so, you know, it's, obviously Apple doesn't want this um, source code out there. Um, apparently it only, pertain in, it only pertained to iOS 9. However, there could be portions of the code that are still relevant today. Um, but the, um, you know, the source code didn't necessarily you know, harm anybody. Um, however, it does um, give people the ability to, to do, you know, write jailbreak code and potentially find other vulnerabilities that could, they could write exploits for, um, assuming the code that's in there um, that apparently pertains to iOS 9, if there's, if there's portions of the code that are still um, relevant today, uh, maybe somebody could do with it, do something with it. Um, but again, it was up there for a short time. Um, Apple realized it was up there, you know, did a DMCA complaint, and then had it taken down. So it'll be interesting to see who, you know, if they're able to actually determine who ultimately put it up there. But I would imagine if they do, um, somebody's probably lost their job unless, you know, Apple's had some kind of hack or something like that. Um, yeah, we'll see where this story goes. 
and then to continue the theme that seems to be all around malware um, i'm sure everyone's heard of the meltdown inspector issues um, that's been going on for weeks and weeks um, but it looks like at this point um, there might be some malware out there they're actually doing something to exploit some of these uh, vulnerabilities around meltdown inspector and it looks like it's some javascript based um, proof of concept code and it looks like one of the, the security the security firm Fortinet um, they examined all the publicly available samples um, at the end of January and found that like 80% of 83% of these samples um, were all based on the uh, proof of concept code via JavaScript. So um, looks like there might be some stuff starting to show up around these vulnerabilities. Um, yeah, it's just a big giant mess trying to like fix these things. I mean, obviously, if you try to fix them, it's going to be firmware updates, which probably means you got to do BIOS updates on motherboards and all sorts of stuff in addition to the operating systems. So yeah, just a just an ongoing big giant mess around Meltdown Inspector. Okay, so let's talk about something that doesn't pertain to malware. So HomePod has launched. Um, so another um, exciting product from Apple. Um, I've read some of the reviews on it. Um, I'm not sure I'd be getting one myself. I'm sure the sound is awesome on the thing, um, but some of the things I've heard um, are the, some or some of the limitations I've heard about uh, would probably prevent me from uh, buying this particular speaker. Plus, I've already got um, quite a bit of or quite a few Amazon devices in my house. So I don't really don't want to have to like um, you know use both of them. It's, just part of the part of the issue I have a lot of this stuff is so much market fragmentation. Um, you know, I just like one device that does everything, but I don't think that's going to happen for a while, if ever. Uh, also, I still have issues with Siri getting to work properly. I mean, it's nowhere near as close or as efficient or or accurate as um, Alexa is um, for asking it questions and so forth. I mean, just just the other day or this weekend, I was actually trying to use Siri. Um, with CarPlay in my car, uh, just to play some music, and I don't know how many times I tried, but I couldn't even get her get her to play music because she couldn't understand me, didn't know what I was talking about. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what's up with Siri, but it's got a long ways to go, in my opinion, before it catches up uh, with Alexa. But like I said, I'm sure the HomePod's a great device. It's supposed to work with all their HomeKit stuff, um, IoT stuff, you know, the you know around. Um, HomePod and HomePod being kind of the hub for all that. Um, so I'm sure that'll, I mean, it's Apple stuff, so I'm sure it'll work, work perfect. Um, but yeah, I just don't uh, know if I want to pay. Oh, the other thing was the price. Um, it's pretty expensive. I think it's like 300 something bucks or something like that for the HomePod. So uh, yeah, not sure I want to spend a lot of money on that. Um, the other thing too, about the same time it came out as HomePod, is that Spotify has apparently cut off support for some of their older receivers and speakers. Um, if, if you might have noticed, there were receivers, or probably still, well, probably not now, but there were, receiver, were stereo receivers that you could buy where Spotify was built into it. Um, the other interesting thing, um, you know, iTunes is starting to reach the same subscriber count as Spotify. So that'll be interesting to see where that goes from a competition standpoint, see if Spotify is able to stay around when they're fighting against um Apple and iTunes, uh, which seems kind of a weird thing, especially uh, since the competition is getting so close for them to actually start supporting uh, older receivers and speakers. Um, seems like that'd be something they want to have. Uh, but anyway, you know, we'll see how Spotify goes, and then we'll also see how 
um, people received the um, HomePod. So speaking of Alexa, uh, it looks like Amazon is developing a new AI chip for Alexa, which will make it even more efficient than it already is at um, answering questions and so forth. So that'll be really interesting to see how that um, plays out. Um, Cause like I said, I mean, Alexa seems to be light years ahead of where Siri is right now. Um, as far as, you know, answering questions for you, understanding what you're asking for um, and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, the other thing too, I'm not sure how, um, I mean, I'm assuming some of the other stuff like Nest thermostats would work um, with HomePod. I don't know. Um, that's the other reason why I probably don't want it, wouldn't want to switch. If I wanted to switch to HomePod, I don't know if it'd work with all the other um, IoT devices I already have in the house because um, they all seem to work pretty well with uh, Amazon's Alexa. So anyway, yeah, AI chip for Alexa. That'll be interesting to see how that works out. <clears throat> and finally, and this is a report from the FCC, and I doubt this will be a surprise to anyone, especially people who live in markets, broadband markets that don't have any competition. Um, but apparently the FCC, FCC found that nearly no broadband competition exists um, around the 100 megabit per second speeds. Um, so yeah, like I said, probably not a surprise to a lot of people, um, especially if you live in a market where there isn't a co any competition. Luckily, um, where I live, there actually is um, two broadband companies, um, and one of those is fiber, so it works out awesomely for me. But unfortunately, that's not the norm. And it's just ridiculous that um, what I pay for gigabit, uh, you know, some people are paying for like 20 megabits and stuff out in more rural areas. So, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do about it. Um, whether FCC actually has any teeth to do anything anymore, uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, but, yeah, just a, like I said, a report on broadband competition and the lack of it. All right, so like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, I've changed the uh, format a little bit on this. So I've added this um, section we'll be diving into here in a second to the end of the podcast. And in the newsletter, basically I just called it, because I can't come up with a better name at the moment, um, what I've been up to. So like I said, it's just um, some random projects and so forth uh, that I've been working on uh, that, I've, that I've blogged about already on the website. And I thought I would bring up in the podcast in case anybody's interested. So the first one we'll talk about is the WiseCam security camera. So just to start off with this, um, for this thing, if you haven't seen it, it's $20. Um, it's actually a great device. Um, the picture on it's um, really good for $20. I mean, it's got a you know 1080p um, video feed on it. Um, like I said, it only costs 20 bucks. You can put in an SD card um, and constantly or do continuous recording to it. Um, it has night vision. Um, it's got a great uh, mobile application on it. And they're actually um, seem to be really doing well as far as continuing to update the product um, and address um, various security concerns um, around the product. So um, as part of the review I was doing on this, um, one of the, the things I noticed um, when this thing first hit the market a while ago, or not, or not, too, not that long ago, but um, a short time ago, um, there was some um, feedback on Reddit where they were talking about the cameras were communicating back to China and apparently um, the reason why they were communicating back to China was 
because they it was part of the uh, streaming video service feature that was included with the camera. So the camera also talks um, back to Amazon AWS, um, which is you know what a lot of IoT devices use these days. So um, I think AWS was like the major part, but for some reason, um, and I'm you know I'm sure the camera was probably made in China. Um, there's probably some streaming part that came along with the camera, and that's why it was talking back to China. So according to some of the comments on Reddit, um, the company had made, I think they were doing some corrections on there, basically to, you know, kind of alleviate people's fears about data being sent to China, back to China, all that sort of thing. So I just I decided I'd take a look at the camera after seeing that and seeing what else I could find on there. Um, but unfortunately, uh, if they have paired back their communications back to China, um, it's still... Um, at least at this point, it's still sending um, some kind of data back to China. It looks like it's it's mainly UDP traffic over um, port 10240. Um, I haven't looked in to see if I could figure out exactly what it's sending. Um, but it seems like it's, uh, especially when you actually fire up the live stream feed for your video camera via your mobile app, um, it'll actually start sending some, you know, just intermittent traffic to China for whatever reason. Like I said, mainly it goes, it talks to AWS, but um, even still it is sending some traffic, um, some UDP traffic um, back to China. Uh, so let's see, what else did I want to talk about on this? Um, yeah, so it's primarily um, the two um, UDP streams that are heading out to China. It looks like it's mainly against um, a couple of IPs. Um, and I think those companies, the IPs, I think they, I thought I'd written about this in the, on the website. Um, ah, anyway, I forget which, the companies, I think they belong to like Alibaba or something like that, which is, uh, or something similar to that, which is a known company in China. Uh, so anyway, so just the, and this is something I made clear in the, in the, on the website. I mean, not that any of this traffic is necessarily malicious. However, I mean, myself and lots of other people, when they start seeing traffic, uh, you know, head back to China, um, they get a little bit concerned about it. Um, one of the other things I found on there, which is something I mentioned earlier in the podcast about, um, IOT devices using, um, archaic and outdated software components. So for whatever reason, um, the camera itself also has a web server running on port 80. And I think there's some other, looks like there's some other servers running on um, port 10002, which also looks like it might be some sort of web service. But the web server it's running, and this is why I said it's running outdated components. It's running a web server, this is one I've never heard of, um, but it's a BOA, it's called BOA, B-O-A web server. And if you go look this up in Google or whatever, um, it's a web server that was initially built for embedded systems. So that's probably a good reason why, or, you know, somebody made a decision to put it on here on the IoT device. I mean, it's embedded, it's for embedded systems, so it's small, lightweight, that sort of thing. However, um, the version, and this is actually the latest version available for the software, which is like 0.94.13, uh, it hasn't been updated since 2005. So... Um, like I mentioned again, we've got, you know, this thing's at least, this thing's over a decade old, um, the version of this thing's running on there. It does have a few known vulnerabilities in it. Um, again, why? Well, I probably know why, because it's free and, you know, it's cheap. And 
Um, probably didn't take much effort to put these on the devices. And um, there's another thing with this, which is another reason why maybe they put this on here, um, is where they may have sourced these things, uh, these devices from, which is kind of odd. This is the other thing I was going to talk about. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so back to the old software components. Again, uh, you know, this is an issue with IoT devices, an ongoing issue with IoT devices and their use of just um, crazy out-of-date software components. So, like I mentioned, one of the other things I noticed on there, which maybe this web server is something that they didn't put on there, that WiseCam didn't put on there. It's just, some, you know, something that was already on the, the hardware um, when they started, um, when they put this com company together and started selling these devices. Um, the uh, wireless network adapter on there is actually, if you look up the uh, MAC address, it's actually a card that's manufactured by iSmart Alarm. So we actually um, are actually part of the um, research reports we did um, several years ago. I think actually with some of the devices we actually tested were from iSmart. Um, but anyway, they sell like an identical camera um, as and it's identical to the WiseCam camera. And if you go on their website, they're actually um, all sold out. So um, not for sure how this went, but I mean, it could, um, it looks, you know, it could potentially be that, you know, maybe WiseCam bought some of these devices from iSmart because they weren't selling well. Um, who knows? But the, the funny thing is iSmart actually sells what looks to be the same device, um, um, at, for a hundred dollars a piece instead of $20 a piece like the WiseCam, um, goes for. So, um, yeah, it's just curious. Um, maybe they, you know, maybe they bought some, you know, non-selling or equipment hardware. Um, the, the cameras that didn't sell well for sell well for iSmart Alarm, or you know, I don't know how they. Maybe they sourced them from the same people making them from iSmart, um, but somehow got them cheaper. Um, I don't know. Um, but anyway, so that was just uh, like I said. That was just the initial review. Um, I still one of the things I still need to try to do is capture the firmware um, when they when the uh, mobile application. Uh, performs a software update on the security cameras. See if I can capture that and pull that apart and see what kind of um, interesting things um, I might find in that. So anyway, yeah, so that's the uh, WiseCam security camera. All right, so let's talk about a reconnaissance tool I've been uh, messing with here um, the last month or two. And as I mentioned um, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, is a tool called Spiderfoot. And like I said, it's a reconnaissance tool. And once you get it set up, it automatically queries over like 100 public data sources um, to gather intelligence on like IP addresses, um, domain names. You can put in email addresses and all kinds of other stuff on there. So it's actually really cool. They, um, so you can actually um, install this locally if you want. Um, that's how I initially installed it um, and then run it and then see, you know, you could run it against whatever craigsmith.net um, and then see what kind of other information it comes back with. So... Like one of the things that's kind of cool, it'll go out and search um, some of the malware tracking sites to see if your IP address might be related to malware. Um, I think it'll look and see like if you if you put your email address in there to look and see if that email address has been exposed at different places. Um, so like I said, you can install it locally, um, but they also had, and I was beta testing, helping beta test this thing um, with them is a cloud version of Spiderfoot, um, which is um, really cool. So you don't have to fool around with, you know, getting it set up locally by yourself and all that sort of stuff. So it does most, I mean, it does the same thing as the local version. It's just um, cloud-based. 
and it takes some of the headache out of getting the initial setup um, going in there. But it's, you know, they've got like a nice, then the, you know, it goes to use it through the web browser. It's got a nice um, um, GUI on it and all that sort of stuff. Um, like it comes back, especially they've got like four different levels. Um, I think there's like, there's passive and then there's all the way to like, you know, super dig in and see what el everything you can find on the internet about, you know, whatever it might be, you know, Bob Jones or, you know, bobjones.com or whatever like that. Um, but yeah, just tons of information that comes back. Um, it seems to be like a super useful tool. Um, I'm curious to see, I think they finished the beta for the cloud version to see, I'm sure they're probably going to charge a little bit for it. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how much they end up charge for it and see if this tool takes off because like I said, um, um, lots of data sources and lots of information, interesting information come back on, you know, websites that you put in there um, that you're maybe trying to look into as far as a pen test or whatever. Um, but it's also interesting to put your own website in there and see what um, information might be exposed or things that are going on with your own website that you didn't know about. Um, so not only does it help for like doing security testing, it also um, helps yourself um, if you're trying to, you know, as part of trying to um, secure, secure your website. So definitely take a look at it. Um, it's called Spiderfoot um, and see what you think about it. All right, so let's talk a bit about logging and alerting. So this was something that's like near and dear to my heart. So if you're not doing logging and alerting, you don't know what you're missing. Um, yeah, you can find all, all <coughs> you can find all kinds of cool stuff um, when you're looking through logs, and then especially um, when you're logging things like uh, when you you know log into your server using SSH or whatever that you can actually alert on that and get you an email or some kind of message going, Hey, somebody just alert, somebody just logged into my site. <coughs> Excuse me. Somebody just logged into my site. Um, you know, just letting you know, also, you know, if it's not you, um, then definitely that's always a plus. If you get an alert, that somebody logged into your site and it's not you. Uh, so you definitely want to know about that one. So one of the things I've been, um, kind of on a quest, um, as far as logging, um, is trying to find a cloud solution. So I, you know, I do stuff locally to Splunk. Um, Splunk's easy to set up, um, locally, um, you can get a free license, so forth, so on. Um, you know, it does a great job. You can get it set up in 30 minutes and you're good to go and you got, you're getting useful information out of it. They do have a cloud service. However, it's like super expensive and no way I'd want to spend that much money on it. Um, so I've been through a couple solutions, um, one of them I used was Logly um, a few several months ago. Um, they were charging like eighty bucks a month. Um, you know, it was, it was a cloud solution. They had a web interface you could do searches on, and et cetera. Just your uh, normal um, logging solution stuff. You'd actually do alerts. Um, you'd also do archiving to Amazon's S3. Um, it's a great product. Um, I was just getting a little tired of paying eighty dollars a month. So one of the other things, um, or after, you know, I've decided to look around, I found another solution um, that's actually quite a bit cheaper. And it seems, so far I've been using it the last couple of months, and it seems to be working uh, pretty well. It's called Log DNA, And it's only, um, the plan I've got, it's like a, a dollar twenty-five a month, and I forget what you, how much space you get. I think it's like a, several gigs or something like that. Um, anyway, it's, it's, the plan, that particular plan is more than I log to the cloud. Um, so it seems to be working out working out um, fine. Like I said, it's got a, this one as well, um, has a web interface. Um, again, you can do searches on the data that you're collecting. 
Um, you can also actually, there's an interesting thing you can do. You can actually do a filter for incoming logs. So for whatever reason, if you've got something coming in that's just like generating a crap load of stuff and you don't want it to take up space in like log DNA, um, you can just filter that out so it doesn't count against your, um, your uh, monthly quota. Um, again, you can do alerts on it. Um, I'm actually, I'm doing, currently I'm doing alerts for, you know, different things. Like I said, mainly, um, you know, if I log into my server via SSH or if I log into my website to do whatever, um, I get an alert right away. It says, Hey, somebody logged into your, um, web server. You can also do, um, you know, you can do other things. Like if somebody's attacking you, um, you know, trying to brute force your logins and so forth, you can, um, alert on that as well. Um, basically anything you can think of, um, you can probably set up an alert for it. Um, again, this one, uh, just like Logly, it does archiving to S3, which is cool. Um, so if you ever, because the online, like if you go through the browser and you do the online search, um, I forget how many days back it goes, but it doesn't go all the way back to the beginning because they're only basically keeping like a week or two online for you to do searches on. Um, then anything after that gets um, archived to S3. So if you, you know, you find something going on or if you want to go, hey, uh, you know, three weeks ago, let's go back three weeks and, you know, see what was going on. Um, you can go out to S3 and pull down the archive logs, um, <coughs> load those up into Splunk, and then just kind of have a look at uh, what's going on. So again, um, like I said, if you aren't doing logging and alerting, I definitely recommend it. Um, in addition to the alert, the alerting, um, having obvious advantages, um, there's all kinds of cool stuff, um, especially if you're logging firewalls and that sort of stuff um, and doing any kind of traffic blocking. There's all kinds of cool things you can find um, that you didn't know what was going on um, when you do uh, logging. All right, so a couple more topics. Um, this is probably going to be one of the longer podcasts, but you know, since I haven't done one in a while, um, I've got lots to talk about apparently. So who is spam? So <laughs> this was kind of a humorous one. So anyway, so I registered a domain, or actually, no, I moved it from one registrar to another registrar. And I forgot to actually, uh, no, actually, I take that back. No, I didn't move it. Um, I was actually trying to go back and do use a domain I'd used before and let go, so I was trying to get it again. Um, so my, the, my old registrar, I registered it there um, and forgot to turn on the Whois privacy. So if, if you haven't registered a domain name, um, Whois basically has the information of who owns a particular domain. <coughs> So back in the old days, um, it would have your, and it, it's required to be accurate. So you couldn't just, you're not supposed to just put anything in there. So it's supposed to be accurate. So, you know, it has your name, your email address, your address, um, that sort of stuff in there. <coughs> so back in the old days, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, nobody really paid any attention to it um, unless they were looking for something for whatever reason against that domain. Um, but now if you have that exposed and you don't, have enabled what is called who is privacy basically it turns into just a big giant spam attack if you don't have it on there so i registered this domain i forgot to turn it on and then all of a sudden i just start getting hammered by spam via email phone calls text i mean it was just ludicrous i mean i've never had this much spam get you know get flung at me um in forever um so yeah so the lesson learned here is um, if you register a domain or you move it to a different registrar, um, make sure 
that you have Whois privacy on unless you're just looking to get the crap spam spammed out of you. Um, yeah, it's a giant problem. I don't know. Like I said, the information is supposed to be accurate in there, but um, because it's accurate, it leads to you know stuff getting all kinds of crap you don't want, um, especially like people offering to make you websites, which I didn't actually know that was still a thing anymore, given that there's so many templates out there for you know making a website that people actually still design websites. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know what the yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. With, they need to do something with, I mean, if they want the information to be accurate, they need to be able to do some kind of mechanism in place that protects it. The problem is with the who is privacy, some registrars charge for it. Um, some don't. The one, the old registrar I was using did, so I'm actually moving, <coughs> excuse me. I'm actually moving my domains to a registrar that doesn't charge for it, um, mainly so I don't forget to turn it on again if I register a new domain. All right, so that was who is spam. All right, so last topic, um, domain blocking. So this is something um, I referred to earlier on in the podcast, um, especially the um, article where they did some research on cryptocurrency mining malware and the domains that were kind of being used with that um, mining malware. So what they one of the things that came out of that was they created a list of 600 some odd uh, domains um, that were um, supposedly taking part in um, a lot of the crypto uh, mining malware that's out there right now. So one of the things I've been messing with is domain blocking, um, <clears throat> especially with my DNS monitoring um, service. I can actually go on there and block domains. Um, one of the things I've done, just because I have no reason to go there, I block all the domains from Russia, all the domains from China, um, and various other domains, um, especially if it comes out that, a, that malware is using a particular uh, domain for like command and control, um, I'll just simply go into that um, DNS monitoring software and block it. So what I did with this particular like 600 odd, odd some, odd, some odd domains is actually just took that and you can load, put that into a you know um, file, just a regular text file, and then you can upload that into your, um, at least into my monitoring software. So at this point now, in addition to some of the other domains I'm blocking, um, especially ones on like the top level domains, like countries like .ru, .cn, that sort of thing. Um, I'm also blocking um, this list of domains they came up with. So I took a quick glance through the, the list of domains. I mean, a lot of it's stuff I'd never go to anyway, so it doesn't really matter if it's, you know, if I'm blocking it or not. But just in the you know the odd chance that I get something on my network, um, at least hopefully I'll have some kind of better um, DNS blocking going on, domain blocking, um, to you know prevent uh, whether it's mounting malware or whatever from you know you know doing really anything. I mean, you might still get the malware on there, um, but hopefully it can't talk back to their backend servers, um, can't talk back to command and control. Um, and in that way, it kind of limits your exposure, even if you kind of do get on your machine. Obviously, you don't want it on there. Um, but if you do get it on there, um, at least it'll help um, kind of mitigate some of that stuff. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, uh, if you don't have a DNS monitoring service, um, I definitely recommend it for personal use. And if you're a company, I mean, if I had my own company, um, I would definitely have some kind of DNS monitoring, especially DNS going out monitoring. Um, to help identify things on your network that you don't want on there. And more than likely, if you have one of these services um, enabled, 
you're probably going to find things that you didn't know were going on in your network um, that might cause some concern. So definitely check that out. Um, all right, so that's the podcast for this week. Um, like I said earlier on, it's great to be back on the air. Um, I can be reached at via email. You can reach me at podcast at iotthisweek.com. I'm also Twitter, on Twitter at CraigZ28. Um, but yeah, look forward to hearing back from you. Um, any topics you'd like to hear, um, feedback, whatever, um, just let me know. All right, that's it for this week, guys. Um, have a great day, and we'll talk to you later.